0: just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to Season 3 of the Earth Keepers podcast. This one has been a long time coming. Three years, in fact. The seed to share the story on the podcast was planted earlier this spring, as I shared on the trailer that you might have already heard. In fact, if you haven't heard the trailer yet, go back and listen to that episode, as it sets the stage for where we're headed this season. Part of why it's taken me so long to put the season together was the sheer volume of research that I needed to do to even begin to understand the different elements involved in this story. From ancient Swedish mythology to the founding of the Mormon Church and hundreds of years of history in between. To say that my ancestors have given me an education this year would be an understatement. And then to try and whittle it all down into a succinct story has been quite the journey. But over the coming few months, we'll be exploring what happens when an entire group of people leaves the only land they've ever known. And specifically, we'll be following that thread through space and time by following just one branch of my family tree that goes from Northern California, where I grew up, back through the Mormon pioneers in Utah, and then back to Sweden for many generations before that. And While yes, this is my family story, I have no doubt that you'll find threads that feel similar to your own stories. No matter where in the world they originated or what religion they were affiliated with, I hope to go down in and through rather than around what is difficult in our collective inherited past and bring those stories to light in a way that just might change not only the past, but also the future. And I hope it just might inspire you to go on a journey of your own ancestral healing. If you do feel inspired to go deeper and you want to support the work that it takes to bring this podcast to life, I would love to have you join me in the Earth Tenders Academy. The Earth Tenders Academy is my online course and community where you can learn more about the history and energy of the community that you live in, hold space for the healing of humanity and nature, remember more about your specific gifts and role with the earth, and see the true magic that's held in your everyday environment. I invite you to step into this portal with me and hundreds of other earth tenders from around the world. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about the earth tenders Academy and join us in this beautiful community. And now I give you season three of the earth keepers. How, how did you find me? Do you remember like how, or what were you either looking for online or how, how did I cross the path? That's a
1: super interesting story too. Spirit just told me, oh, just go online and you'll, you'll find somebody else doing grid work. And so I I just typed it in. And then there was your blog about the following Hawks blog and said that you were a grid worker. Basically, I I think I read, I read about it. And then I, I think I just called you and you're like, oh, I just happened to be coming to Utah. Like literally within a few months, you were already planning on coming here and doing some work with your ancestors. And I was like, Oh, awesome, come stay with me. And so the rest is history and we became friends and
0: it's kind of <laughs> cool. But yeah, I think spirit completely led me to you that way. He So well, and so what's funny is from my perspective, then, um, and it was, I don't think so. I was coming to Utah for some other reason. And that was already on the schedule when you reached out. And I think you said like, oh, maybe we can have lunch or go on a hike or something. I was like, yes, that'd be great. I'll be back in touch with you when it's closer because it was still a couple months away, I think. And then, um, yeah, I reached out and we, I think, picked a date. And then we were both like, what, like what, H- how is this all coming together? You know, are we supposed to do something in particular together? And so I went and tuned in and went on and journeyed. And it was at that point that my Mormon ancestors came forward, which is really funny because other than knowing that my grandmother had grown up in the church and been excommunicated um, when she was, I don't know, 18 or 19 years old, I had never given any of the other Mormon ancestors another thought, (laughs) like I hadn't, I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know where they lived. I didn't know their stories. I didn't know anything. And so um, they came to me in that journey and said, um, they wanted me to learn about them and go and find out more about kind of their stories, but also that their free will was being violated by their church, by their religion and they wanted help to be released from it. And that was the first I'd heard of such a thing. And in fact, I think I'd even asked like how it's your free will like, how is it being? Violate. I should backpedal a little bit on the story because when I, so when I had this conversation, when these ancestors came to me, I don't think I even knew that you had been Mormon. We'd never had, we'd barely even talked. (laughs) We didn't really know each other. I didn't know that you had a background in the church. And so I just kind of came back to our conversation and said, okay, well, this is kind of strange, but um, this is what my ancestors are telling me that. They need help. And at this point, I'm thinking to myself that, um, you know, they just need like a soul retrieval or something is mm-hmm. is, is what yeah. I'm thinking. Um, and because I don't really understand what happens in the temple or what these oaths are or anything else. Mm-hmm. And that they just want help being released from the oaths is what they tell me. Um, and I also don't know where my family had settled um when they immigrated at this point. And so uh I go and call my parents who have done extensive genealogy research and say, tell me about these ancestors. What do you know? And um they pull out all the paperwork and they say, well, they settled in Ogden. And I'm like, well that's where Katrina lives. <laughs> that's where Is that I'm going. crazy. Yeah. And so like that was the first kind of um you know, funny synchronicity there, um, clearly arranged by them, they knew I was coming uh, but also that uh, when I went back to you and said this is what my ancestors said but I don't really I don't know anything about the church that you said, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about and I understand what the osar, are and I understand how they have to be removed and so it was like yeah. this whole divine arrangement <laughs> Yep. by Spirit to bring us together in Ogden and absolute synchronicity us. the whole
1: way through, yeah, how we how it all came together was pretty incredible.
0: And that was how I met my friend and Shamana Keeler, Katrina Whitney. It really was quite incredible. Up until that point, my Mormon heritage was a mystery to me. Honestly, it wasn't something I even had a passing interest in. I didn't grow up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, more commonly called the Mormon Church. I was two generations removed. And the fact that my grandma Marilyn had been a member prior to her excommunication was a bit of a family joke. She's the one that told the story, and I'd heard it many times growing up, but I'm sorry now that I'd never dug any deeper. Because... She's been gone now for over a decade, and the records that would answer some of my questions, if they even exist, are certainly behind lock and key within the church, never to be seen by a Gentile like me. But here's the story as I heard it told. My grandmother was born to a Mormon family in Sacramento, California in 1931. As she got into her elementary school years, her mother, my great-grandmother Alta, thought the local Catholic school would provide a better education for her than the public school, and without much discussion moved her daughter, who had been taught the Mormon doctrine, to a school full of nuns ready to correct the errors of her previous religious education. If this was a sitcom, this was when hilarity would have ensued. But rather, my grandma mostly remembers being sent to the principal's office, or being hit with a ruler by the nuns for asking too many questions. And honestly, could you even imagine being eight or nine years old and not even understanding that different religions have different beliefs and then being punished every time you asked for clarification? So I suppose it's not too hard to imagine that she wasn't especially enamored by religion in general by the time she reached adulthood. I have no idea if she was still attending the LDS church all this time, I never asked her. But family members have told me that her mother continued to attend her entire life. So I have to assume that she was taking her kids to the Mormon church each Sunday and then sending them back to the Catholic school on Monday morning. Now, what I do know is that shortly after she married my grandpa Roy, who was definitely not a member of the Mormon church, he took issue with the church or specifically with the church missionaries. If you're not familiar with how missions work in the church, this is one of the cornerstones of the religion. Mainly single men between the ages of 18 and 25 receive an assignment for two years in locations around the world where they go door-to-door preaching the gospel, among other types of service work. You've probably seen them around your town or opened your front door to find Young men in black pants, white shirts, and a tie, asking if you've read the Book of Mormon. Now, to you, a non-church member, these visits are likely random or sporadic. But if you are a church member who hasn't been to church for a while, there is nothing random about these visits. At least in the late 1940s and early 1950s, when my grandmother was in her early 20s, there was a very clear no-member-left-behind rule. Because week in and week out, the missionaries would show up to their house to preach the Word of God and persuade her to come back to church. Was this annoying to my grandmother? I don't really know. But it was annoying to my grandfather, and he wanted them to stop. So my grandmother asked them to stop visiting, except they told her they couldn't. It was literally against the rules for them not to visit a church member. They had to keep coming every week, whether she liked it or not. In fact, they told her in kind of a joking fashion that the only way they could stop coming is if she was excommunicated from the church. Now, I'm sure they didn't think she would do it. Who would willingly excommunicate themselves from the church? That came with a whole lot of heavy consequences. Certainly, no one would choose that just to get missionaries to stop visiting and checking in on them. But... I do believe they underestimated her desire to separate from the religion. And the way she always told the story was that she just went and did it, got herself excommunicated, and that was that. Almost like she gamed the system. She was always pleased with the fact that she'd outsmarted them. But I didn't understand until my ancestors came to me and I began this journey for myself, what a big deal this had been. Leaving the Mormon church isn't all that easy. Even today. But it's a whole lot easier now than it was in the 1950s. And that's only after a series of lawsuits from members demanding to be released from their church membership in a court of law because the church wouldn't otherwise allow it. You see, the church and its members take their oaths seriously. You might quit going to church, but you are for sure still a member, not just in this lifetime, but for eternity. That is the oath you take, or at least one of them. Nowadays, there's websites that will allow you to submit your resignation, and like it or not, the church has to accept it. But 70 years ago, there was only one way out. Excommunication. Now, from the church's perspective, there are three reasons for the practice of excommunication. Number one, it allows a person to restart in the gospel with a fresh slate number two, it prevents the good name of the church from being smeared, and number three, it protects the innocent. Excommunication usually happens when a member goes to their church leader for counsel after committing a serious sin. But even in that case, the intent is not for the person to leave the church. The intent is that they will continue to attend church Pray and hope that one day they can find their way back into the good graces of God and be rebaptized. So, yeah, even excommunication in the Mormon church isn't totally a way out. And back in my grandmother's time, it would have required a kind of hearing with the local church leaders to explain what she'd done wrong to merit her removal. When I learned that, I can't tell you how much I wanted to find if there were records of that hearing. I mean, the Mormons have quite the reputation for documenting everything. So I'm sure it exists somewhere. But I can't imagine I'm ever going to see it. Knowing her personality, I do wonder if she lobbed some accusations of her own in that hearing. Some of the whispers of abuse of women and children in the church over the generations aren't exactly whispers anymore. And I do like to imagine that she told some stories of her own. Most likely, she just told them what they needed to hear and moved on with her life. I'll never know for sure, but I have been moved to tears of gratitude many times in these past three years for her strength and bravery as a young 20-something in the church of 1950s America who had to sit before a panel of men twice her age and demand to be released from their organization. And... That through her actions, her children, grandchildren, and many generations to come have had the ability to make their own choices about religion and spirituality. Because only a few generations before, there wasn't the same freedom of choice. Which takes us back to the ancestors who came to me in a meditation three years ago. The ones who stepped forward and asked me to learn more about them and then asked for help to remove their oaths. What exactly did they need help with that they couldn't do for themselves? What are these secret temple oaths? Well, first I think we have to talk about the temples themselves because Mormon temples are different from their churches. It's not the place for weekly worship. It is a holy and sacred space meant to inspire awe and fear during the special ceremonies that take place within. And Technically, only church members are allowed to know what happens in the temple, under penalty of death. Yeah, death. But in the internet age, former members have been more willing to share what goes on inside, as the likelihood of meeting your demise for exposing the sacred rituals seems to have lessened in recent generations. But if you watched the Hulu series this summer, Under the Banner of Heaven, you saw this temple ceremony depicted.
1: What just happened? Don't wait for <laughs> A woman older than Jesus' is sandals just put oil very, very close to my private part. It took me by surprise, too. I thought they kept me in the dark because I didn't grow up LDS,
0: but I guess they don't tell any of us. Hey, the temple workers are listening. You're not supposed to be talking or making light of sacred things. Soon I will surrender to them for time and eternity. I'll be a tea, but when we're confident, we don't give up our own minds.
1: Of course not. It's important that Brenda knows she doesn't just earn a husband today, but sisters, too, forever, to keep all of our agency strong. What do you mean agency? As in free agency.
0: Nothing holy is free. Most high God, to rule and reign in the house of Israel forever. Sisters, you have been washed and anointed to become queens and priestesses to your husbands. Names, signs, and penalties which you will receive in the temple this day are most sacred and are guarded by solemn covenants and obligations of secrecy to the effect that under no condition, even at the peril of your life, will you ever divulge them. As you heard in the clip, you take this vow as part of your endowment ceremony in the temple. The ceremony endows the members to be kings, queens, priests, and priestesses in the afterlife. There is a washing and anointing, along with the giving of a new name and receiving of the temple garments, which are basically sacred underwear that are to be worn day and night for the rest of your life underneath your clothes. If you ever wonder why you don't see LDS members wearing tank tops, this is why. Now, during this ceremony, members are also taught a series of handshakes and gestures that are considered necessary to pass by the angels on their way to heaven, along with a series of oaths to dedicate themselves to the church for eternity. And as shown in the show, initiates have one hand raised to take the oath, while using their other hand to draw their thumb across their throat, signifying a cutting of the throat from ear to ear, signify their willingness for their life to be taken rather than divulge the secrets of the temple. What's missing from the show is the other two oaths that go along with this one that also include the disemboweling and the cutting out of your heart while promising that your life would be taken rather than divulge the secrets. Now, This blood oath was removed from temple ceremonies in 1990 after a series of membership showed that declining church attendance was partly due to the members feeling uncomfortable about this cryptic temple ritual. But every single Mormon in good standing prior to that time, including my grandmother and our ancestors before her, had each taken that oath among others, like promising their time, their money, and their life. Not to God. But to the church itself. And it terrified them, not only in their life, but also in death. 150 years after some of their deaths, they're still waiting for the promises of the church to come true and clinging to their oaths for the promise of delivery to the promised land. So when they asked me for help to remove these oaths, I hadn't realized how serious it was. I asked Katrina to explain a bit more about how she figured out that these temple oaths needed to be removed for people to be released from the church.
1: It just intuitively, I just feel like spirit just kind of guided me to, to do that. And it, once I did that, I just, my I felt like my energy completely shifted. I was no longer angry. I was, my attachment and anger to the church was just like gone like it doesn't bother me at all anymore like I'm free like I just I just felt like it freed me to um to truly explore what I was being guided to explore by the spirit you know rather than by this church and their set of doctrines and dogma
0: and since then because I know you've worked with you know variety of people on this um What, you know, what are some of the things that are happening in those oaths? I know you said like your time, your money, your um, your life, you know, like what are some of the other things that are happening in the temple energetically that are sticking with people either after they leave the church or after they die?
1: Yeah. Well, I think those are the main things is that you're just basically handing over your divine empowerment over to the church. So they get it all. They, you, you verbally say it all to them. You say, I give you my time, my dedication, my life, my everything, my money. Like, so you basically just hand over your empowerment on a silver platter to this church, you know, and we all know that the church has holdings in real estate in big pharma and all kinds of stuff. So they're a business and they're using people's tithing money to (laughs) grow their empire. And it's a very worldly empire. They like you to think that you're pledging it to God, but really it's, it's an organization. It's a church. And there are people at the top of that church that are running the show. (laughs) I mean, has the prophet really prophesied anything that's come about? I
0: mean, like, I don't know. Right. And then I guess, you know, to the extent of my ancestors and really what I came across is I think, and it took me a while to figure this out. Like I, it actually it kind of bothered me when I kept thinking about like, how can the church do this? Right. Like how, if we have free will, how is this even a thing? Mm-hmm. And I right. think, and and especially for people after they pass away who were never members of the church. Mm-hmm. and. I think what I, you know, in talking to you and, um, you know, another mutual friend that we have kind of came to the conclusion that through that process of doing so much ancestor work, right, doing this work on behalf of your dad in the temple, um, number one, and then also having so much of your kind of decision making taken away from you or your, you know, um, absolutely free yeah. agency i guess you could say it would be so ironic because they always thought, are talking about free agency
1: all the time you know free agency free agency you know but really you're just completely handing
0: over your agency in the temple 100 right, right. Them. yeah and i think you know that was what i realized is <clears throat> i think the ancestors still that were connected with that still felt like like they needed an ancestor to help them, right? That that Because that's why I kept saying, yeah. why come to me, right? If they know what the problem is, uh, why can't they just fix it? <laughs> and I think a lot of it was like their feeling and and their concern maybe that like they took these oaths with God and they didn't want to undo Either. oaths with God. And it was more the understanding of like, maybe they weren't with God. They were with the church and you can undo those and you can right. make other oaths if that's what you so choose.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of fear that goes, that goes into these. oaths. like, if you don't do this, you will not have your family. If you don't do this, you will not be with God. You're going to be in the lower kingdoms. They believe in like the terrestrial, the telestial and the celestial. There's like three levels and you're just not going to make it to that top one. If you don't do everything that you need to do and you're not baptized and you don't make these oaths, that you're just, Going to be out of luck and you're not going to be with your family. So it's a very fear based paradigm. And anytime you have something that is working with control and fear, to me, that is a very dark energy. So I I try to connect with um, a spirit of love and a spirit of freedom and, uh, you know, a spirit of um, personal empowerment, you know, like we all have God's divinity. We all have the ability to connect with God. There is no church that has any authority to say that you can or can, cannot connect with God or your ancestors. Like it's just a divine gift that we all have. So, you know, once you start figuring that out, then you start freeing yourself of these, of these uh, dogmatic paradigms.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, if you think about even 150 years ago, which was kind of the timing of of my ancestor, it it would have been even more difficult in the culture where everybody participated in a church more or less or had some kind of connection. Mm -hmm. It wasn't quite as um, Mm -hmm. separate as it is for many people now. So like, of course you want to be saved. And then of course you want to be with your family. And if for some reason you didn't, I'm sure it, increases the peer pressure from your family right like now your family's worried about you you're not going to be with them (laughs) yep yep so um yeah and that was what was so interesting at the graveyard and yeah we'll get to the graveyard in a minute but first let's talk about baptizing the dead in the mormon temple because it really was the piece that bothered me the most when i first learned about it You may already be aware that the Mormon Church owns the largest genealogy library in the world. Yes, you heard that right. The largest record of family histories in the entire world was founded in Salt Lake City, aka LDS Headquarters, in 1894. The specific purpose of this library, right up to the present day, is for church members to research and find every family member in their history who never heard the gospel and once a member has the name, birth date, marriage, and death dates along with their locations, they can take that information into the temple and baptize that ancestor on their behalf. Let me say that again. The Mormon church is baptizing non-members after their death without their consent. They have been doing this since 1840 and continue to do it today. Now, According to the church, although the baptism by proxy is performed without the dead ancestor's consent, they will not actually be baptized unless this person accepts the baptism of their own free will. But why? Why exactly is this such an important part of the religion? Because the religion believes that the family members will all be together in heaven for all of eternity. But only the family members who belong to their one true church. Imagine the agony of a parent whose child leaves the church. They will be missing that family member when they get to heaven and be without them forever and ever. So this temple work of finding and baptizing the dead is performed primarily by children who then have the opportunity to go through a temple baptism again and again and again for every family member they can find. I asked Katrina to tell me how that was explained to her when she was a child in the church.
1: Well, it's explained to you that, you know, we have all, the Mormon church is the truth. So we have the gospel of Jesus Christ is how it's explained to you. And um, the poor souls that did not, were not able to get baptized into the one true church they need to get baptized into the Mormon church because that is the truth. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we believe that, you know, when they passed on and they didn't get that opportunity, that we're giving them that opportunity uh, as being baptized for them on this earth as a proxy. If that is makes sense. Is there any,
0: yeah, is there any, uh, I guess, explanation about like where are they in this period of time <laughs> between passing are away? They? And and where are the dead people baptized. yeah
1: where like are they gosh you know that's a good question like we we never really talked about that too much when we think about that question <laughs> that one was never really brought up much um where were they i mean because like the mormons don't really believe in purgatory i don't think that's like more of a catholic thing so that's a really good question i guess they're waiting in, to be baptized and they're in this, I mean, we believed, I I was told about a spirit prison and that's where you go when you didn't do what you're supposed to be doing. You're held in, you know, like the wicked people are held in a spirit prison. Um, And then I do remember something about the, the second resurrection where people will like rise from their graves and be resurrected um, in the second during the second coming, so that that was a thing. Oh, gosh, where where are they? <laughs> they all are waiting to get baptized into the one true church. That's a good question. They're in limbo, I guess.
0: I, that's a good question. I don't I don't know. It's yeah, just- I guess maybe just separated from their family, right? Because if the church believes right, you'll all be reconnected with your family in eternity. And I guess they're just oh, being alone. <laughs> well, they say
1: families are forever. But they're only forever if you convert to the church because that's the only true church. So the people that don't convert and don't get baptized and don't follow those teachings in that church, they're yeah, they're separated from their family. So <laughs> it's, it's actually not families are forever at all when you really look at it for what it is, you know.
0: Yeah, and and I mean, so <clears throat> going to the temple and doing those baptisms for for the dead as a child. I mean, what was did it did it feel special, magical? Uh, you know, do you do you have um, any feelings or rem- remembrances of those experiences?
1: You know, um, well, my dad, he used to facilitate those baptisms and do the do the baptisms for the kids. And he said that a couple times he felt like souls like accepting the gospel the gospel so um he he had a couple things where where he thought he felt spirits or maybe he did and somebody did was on the other side and said oh yeah that sounds good but um for me you know looking back I'd never had any particular like amazing spiritual experiences in the temple doing baptisms for the dead it was just more like okay well this is what I'm supposed to be doing and um At the time I was so young, I was like, oh, I'm just helping souls come to the truth and have the opportunity to come, come to Christ, to come to God, because I have, I'm in the one true church. So I'm just helping people is how I looked at it as a child, because you can go in there when you're 12. So it's pretty, pretty young, you know, it's like a preteen kind of
0: experience. So this bothered me for quite some time how exactly were the souls of dead people being convinced to become members of the church after their death? And it finally dawned on me, or at least it's the one that makes the most sense to me when I think about it, because there are so, so many earthbound spirits who, for one reason or another, didn't quite get to the other side. But often it's simply because they're confused they don't know that they died, or if they do, they somehow didn't get crossed over in the days after their death, and now they're waiting for someone to come help them to get where they need to go. So imagine in this scenario that the energy of one of your family members comes to you in meditation or prayer and says, hey, I know you passed away some time ago, and I see you here waiting. And the reason that you're still here is because you didn't hear the gospel or accept the one true church in your lifetime. And if you do that now, you'll join the rest of your family in heaven for eternity. I can imagine that a whole lot of those spirits would shrug their shoulders and say, okay, that makes sense to me. Now what do I do? And bam, they're baptized into the Mormon church. Honestly, I've learned A lot of creepy things in my research about the church, but this one has really struck me the way they're collecting dead souls. I think there's more to it, but I'm really not sure I want to know all the details. So, anyway, back to my ancestors. If you can imagine now that it's the mid 1800s and you've left your homeland, sailed to America, and then pioneered across the plains to the high desert of Utah and found yourself bound by a blood oath that will follow you and all of your family members into eternity, you might think better of making any kind of complaint about the church or doing anything but following the doctrine and covenants to the letter, lest you be left behind on judgment day. Except at some point you died along with everyone else you know. And now you find yourselves all just waiting waiting for the return of Jesus, as promised by the church, to lift you all up to Zion, which is what Katrina and I found when I went to Ogden and we visited the graveyard where my pioneer ancestors were buried. It was like no other cemetery I'd visited.
1: Yeah, so you're the one that found that graveyard because your ancestors were buried there. And it's not far from where I live. So that's so interesting that you're all the way in Montana and I'm here right next to your ancestors and we get spirit hooks us up together to go do this work. So
0: really I, amazing. You can <laughs> tell at the beginning of it, like where it, where it was. And yeah. Know. So, I mean, it was um, I was in kind of a rural area, you know, a few miles outside of kind of. Yeah. You know, it's kind there. of out west from me, out west of the mountains. Yeah. 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 And the thing that hit me the most that has really stayed with me these last few years while I've been been doing this was that when we got there and, you know, not all uh, cemeteries have like guidebooks. Right. To help you find people. So we kind of had to wander around. And I've I've done this enough times now that I can kind of just you know tune in and be like show me where you are and it usually is like 5 minutes yeah. and <laughs> yeah me or the person i'm with managed to to find them so we did that pretty quickly i think oh yeah and i remember i'm like oh it's that row over there
1: <laughs> and we went over there and it was in that row and Fairly it we were. <laughs> we were led right to it within 10 minutes yeah yeah, it was really cuz at first fast. we were looking at the the uh kiosk with all the The grave was, they were laid out and we're just like, I have no idea. And I was like, well, let me just see if I can tap in. And I was like, oh, it's that row. And then we went right to it. (laughs) It was really fast.
0: Yeah. 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 So we found them pretty quickly. and, And in the place that we were standing, we were facing, um, you know, east towards the Wasatch Mountain Range, which is, you know, large and, and imposing, imposing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really the main feature on the landscape there mm-hmm. um through most of northern Utah, really. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I just suddenly really had this deep feeling of my ancestors arriving, you know, after this long journey from England, Sweden, you know, the different places that they had yeah. come. And so, you know, by boat and by train or by wagon and by, you know, months pass and all the money they would have had to save to get there or all of the promises they would have had to make to pay people back who paid their way, however it was that they, they got there. sacrificed a lot. Yeah, like that, it was, it was a lot.
1: And, and I remember you were telling me like one of your ancestors, you knew she drowned Mm-hmm. Nearby, that sounds very traumatic too. So there's like also a lot of physical trauma that went along with being a pioneer
0: and coming across with the Mormons at that time. Side note: Yes, one of my pioneer ancestors, Ann Wesson, drowned while riding in a wagon across the ice in the winter when the ice broke and the wagon fell in. Her body wasn't found for six months. She definitely wanted some assistance in crossing over but back to our cemetery visit
1: well let me tell you well, first what I saw when we were there in my it was all in my mind's eye I just saw like people like gathering around and um I don't know if this was like a, my own filter that I was seeing this but in my third eye I clearly saw like a gathering of like people with wagons it was very like pioneerish so I'm not I, I'm not sure exactly like if that was am I seeing a magnetic loop of these, pioneers or is this them in real time but I definitely saw like wagons and just people gathering in to see what we had to say that's what it felt like they they were coming in like okay who are these ladies and I remember that they were like very skeptical of us because we were women because the church is very, very patriarchal so like when we were trying to heal this trauma and help them move out of this trapped dimension they didn't want to listen to us because we were women and we're like oh no no like so i'll let you tell the rest of it
0: yeah well i mean i think if i remember right we kind of just like asked you know if there's anybody in the area that can hear us that wants to listen to what we have to say just come on over here and it was it was like they all kind of gathered Yeah, around us but quite a big gathering. Yeah, yeah, and I think you talked to them for a couple of minutes about the church and the belief systems and what their options were and who they took their oaths with. If I remember right, do you do you remember? Yeah, I was.
1: Yeah, I was just going intuitively. I felt I felt like I was being guided by the spirit to just kind of direct them. Yeah, and (laughs) that they they were in. Uh, 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 it felt like they were like trapped in some sort of a loop or waiting for something. It just seemed like they were trapped there, but
0: the, it felt like a lot of heaviness. Like they were not happy about it. Like, didn't you, did you get that feeling? Yeah, definitely. And that, and <laughs> and you're right, the waiting, I think some of this is, like I said, has colored my opinion about, you know, just like, oh, they are, they are, they're waiting for Jesus to come back and they haven't experienced that so they're just still here
1: and hanging out on the earth yeah
0: yeah Yeah. in in this other dimension yeah you're right like you you lose your body but everything else continues on right like if you don't if you don't know where to go or what to do and i think different religions and different cosmologies teach different things and so Mm -hmm. you know where Mm -hmm. If, if your religion has a story, a teaching about we die and then whatever, you know, an angel comes to get you or, uh, you know, whatever, but that helps you get to the other side, then that process happens a lot easier because you're expecting it and it happens. And that's my experience in yeah. working with a variety of different kind of souls of that process.
1: Yeah. You know, I do believe that there are guides that guide people to... Where they need to be, or where they're supposed to be, or wherever they like. I said, I think that we tend to gravitate to where our frequency resonates. You know, I think there's a lot of different dimensions, but when you are so indoctrinated with an idea of heaven or what's going to happen when you die, then it's like that becomes your reality. And just because you leave your body, that doesn't mean like your consciousness is going to suddenly be different or completely elevated to a new perspective, because you leave your body. So I mean, I kind of used to think that, but now I'm kind of like, maybe not, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes we get trapped in such a deep religious paradigm, that our consciousness is like there. And no matter if we're in this body, or if we pass over to the next uh, dimension, that's still going to be our consciousness. So that's why I think it's really important to try to um, awaken and free your consciousness and uh, open up your mind to spirit guiding you and directing you directly so that you can um, awaken to a little bit of a more elevated consciousness before you pass on with all these old paradigms that are very, almost like in
0: entrapping of your soul it's hard to explain but well yeah and if if I think about you know a lot of kind of like ancient teachings or um a lot of indigenous cultures and their beliefs like there's many different kind of flavors I guess you could say you know um but most of them have like a process that if you look at them have similarities in that like you die and then there is someone some being some function that happens that carries you to the next place right and so it's it might be that you're getting carried to the land of the ancestors or it might be that you know what you know, you're going to heaven or whatever but it's like there's and i think people forget about that that there's this like transitionary time and period And I think you lose track of linear time when you don't have your body, right? So for us, it's like, oh, they've been there for 150 years, right? These spirits waiting. But I don't know that they, all the spirits that I've talked to, like, they don't have that concept of how much time has really passed or what has really happened as far as on the linear plane. So I don't know how long it really feels to them. Yeah. But at least my ancestors had some sense that like time had passed. And nothing had happened, right? Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're, and so they, they felt like they were stuck or that they couldn't get to that place that was promised by the church. Right, yeah, it definitely felt like a very stuck and
1: trapped energy and they were all just waiting around and just kind of like a little bit disgruntled, but yet still believing in this paradigm and waiting around for something to happen. Right. So I remember like, because they didn't believe us they didn't want to cross over like why should we listen to you women you know right that we actually called in yeshua and archangel michael to see if they would list could see him and listen to him
0: yes you know? because i usually work with archangel michael when I, to cross spirits over and so that i didn't even give it a second thought i just called him in to like open the portal and they all just stared at us <laughs> want us to do where where are we yeah uh try again and and so i think i asked you at that point i'm like what wait well, i remember what i think the mormons said, believe i think <laughs> i said <laughs> we don't really believe in the archangels like right so, i said, know who let's try was. to call in
1: let's try to call in jesus or i call him yeshua i don't think he likes the name jesus because that name has been so inverted <laughs> by religion right. so right. He asked me to call him Yeshua, but um, I, I think I said, "Yeah, we're not really taught about the archangels." <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> so I said, "Let's let's call in Jesus because they'll they'll listen to him," mm-hmm. you know. And they did. A lot of them went. So like immediately he, they were like, "Oh, this is what uh, we've been waiting for." Yeah, okay, they're like, like "Oh, that's... there he is!" You yeah. know, like, <laughs> Jesus is here. I mean, you can invoke him anytime you want. You don't have to wait for him to come onto the physical earth or to. You know what I mean? He's he's still a being. That's anytime you want, you have access to him. So yeah, that worked. And I I know some of them still did stay. I Mm -hmm. remember, like there was a few that were just like, "Mm, no. They they (laughs) still were like, but a lot of them I saw go into this portal, and it was really moving.
0: You know, so that was, and I think that's what's different. And same thing about the oath removal is that, like, that's the that's free will, right? Like, we're we're not going to force you to go if you don't want to go. You can stay, but you can stay with you know the we'll explain the situation, and then you can make your choice. And if you choose to stay, that's completely fine. You have a choice, and I feel like free will. Yeah, yeah. At least like like, when you're shown
1: you know, something, then you have a choice between <laughs> different things. Whereas in the church, I feel like you're just given this one option and then you give all your power over to this thing, this institution, and you make these oaths and then suddenly your free will is just gone. Like you're just sucked into it because you've made these oaths, you know? And I think that's a very, <sighs> I, I, It's a dark energy, and I think it's all very intended.
0: So over a couple of days in Ogden, we worked with the ancestors who wished to have their oaths removed and helped quite a few Mormon pioneer spirits meet up with Jesus. And honestly, I figured that was the end of it. I had done my duty to my ancestors, and they seemed thrilled about the outcome. In fact, this is what I shared on my Instagram stories after the oath removal. We definitely went into the section where um, we called forward um, all of my ancestors, but also anybody else who wanted their um, oaths to the Mormon church removed. And um, it was quite a trip. There was like three different big groups of people that all came forward and they were so excited. Like it felt almost like New Year's Eve. Like they were waiting for the countdown and like as soon as we got to one, they a party. So uh, yeah, they were super excited. It was really awesome. Um, And yeah, felt like I did a good deal. So yeah, done and done, right? Well, not so much. I mean, those particular ancestors were quiet after that. But over the coming year, something else started happening that didn't seem random. I was being sent to do energetic work with the grids in Utah again and again and again. I'll save that story for next week's episode. We'll talk about what the Mormon church has to do with the earth's grids and what I found out about my own past with the church when I had a past life reading done. Thanks to shamanic healer Katrina Whitney for sharing her story and insight for this episode. You can contact her online at redmountainshaman.com. She offers healing sessions and believes in empowering her clients to learn how to become their own healers. I'll add a link to her website in the show notes. You can also find the video of our entire discussion on my YouTube channel. We talk more about the interesting energies in Utah, how the energy there has shifted the past few years, and some of the messages we've each received about it. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here on the Earth at this moment in time, and I'll see you back here next Tuesday.